Luke 7, 24 through 30. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God can raise up children to Himself from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, he who has two coats, let him give to him who has none. And those of you who have food, likewise do the same. Tax collectors, take no more than what is appointed for you. That's extortion. Soldiers, stop intimidating people. Stop bullying. Stop accusing falsely. And be content with your wages. King Herod, repent of all the evil that you've done, including taking your brother Philip's wife as your own. Indeed, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you who you do not know. It is he coming after me who is preferred before me because he was before me. It is this one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. And he will gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn the shaft with unquenchable fire. I am not the Christ. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and remaining upon him, it is he that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. 
Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from heaven is above all. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And when all the people heard him, who is he? When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. Let me ask you a question, church. Would you readily receive messages like this every week? Where the hard-hearted are called a brood of vipers to their faces? Where the self-righteous are told that God could replace you with these stones if He so desired? where those who are trusting in their own goodness and their own works are told that there is an axe laying at their feet, at the root of the trees, and the trees are you. Would you be able to handle being told, since you are so blessed, you really only need one coat when there are those who don't have any? Those of you who have storehouses of food, Freezers in the garage, in the basement, full of food. Two refrigerators in many cases. Share with those who have none. Do it regularly as a part of your life. Those of you who are dishonest in your businesses, God is watching you. Those of you who use your power to intimidate people, you're going to answer to God. He's above you. And those of you who are in sin, repent. Even you, Herod, even you, Herod, ruler of Judea, you've committed adultery toward your own brother and toward God. That's a lot to take, isn't it? For most of those categories, we're probably sitting there going, yes, preach it, preach it, preacher. Say it like it is, John, just tell us the truth. Sooner or later, sooner or later, one of those categories you're going to fall into. And you're going to go, ouch, I think he's talking to me. Sooner or later. That's the kind of preaching that we were reading. In Luke 3, John 1, Luke 7, from John the Baptist. We would call it hellfire and brimstone sermons today, wouldn't we? Yep, they'd be construed as hellfire and brimstone. Some would say, it's a little too harsh and condemning. And I wonder how many would receive them. But let me ask you another question. Not only would you be able to receive messages like that on a regular basis, let alone travel by foot out to hear them, but let me ask you something. If it's true that the axe is laid at the foot of the tree, ready to cut down those who do not bear fruit to God their Creator, if it's true, if it's true that there were those even among us 
who would cry out, Lord, Lord, did I not do all of these things in your name on that day of judgment and be told I did not know you? If it's true that that would happen, if it's true that there is a day of judgment coming where God calls us all to repentance and righteousness to stand before Him, would that change the way you viewed the forthrightness of the preaching of the Gospel? If there really were hypocrites among us, right here in this room, those who are saying one thing but really living a different way, if there were those whom you knew were self-righteous, trusting in their own works, perhaps their own heritage. Well, don't you know, I've had elders and preachers and, and deacons in my family lineage for years and years in the church of Christ. If there were those who saw their membership in a local body such as this as the golden ticket to eternal life, that it's an offer that God could not refuse. What if there were those who trusted in their kind and charitable works among us instead of the work of the cross and thought that they could gain entrance into life by their goodness? What if there were those among us who were dishonest in their businesses, heaven forbid, or used their power to intimidate people or wouldn't give of their clothing to those who did not have clothing? or share their food with people who are struggling or without food in the community? What if that were the case? Then would the message be too harsh? Would it be? If these things are true, most sane people would say, you need to tell it like it is, preacher. You need to just tell us the truth. We would agree that that needed to be heard. This may not have sounded like it to you, but John the Baptist was preaching the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of God. Well, I thought the gospel was good news. It is. It is. John was affording the people an opportunity to be right with God. Whereas now, they're dead in sin. Many of them listening. Dead in sin. Especially those who came out not to honestly hear the message but to scowl and to try to trap Jesus or John in His words and to seek ways that they could turn the people away from Him to them, He said, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? John was preaching the Gospel. He was conveying the imperative that men repent and turn to God and do works that are fitting for God's people. Unlike all of those that He listed that were being done among the people right there. All the while, what was he doing? He was drawing, don't miss it, he was drawing a beautiful picture of a kingdom under a Lord who said, you share what you have with people in need. You show these acts of love and kindness in my name, for my glory among my people. Did you miss that message? Sometimes it's easy to hear the negatives and feel defensive and buckle up, isn't it? And miss that the point of this is 
you need to turn away from evil. You need to turn away from this rottenness in the heart. And you need to turn to God so that you can learn how to live and enjoy life in the kingdom and, and to have love for one another and to have God's hand resting upon you rather than the wrath of God which is coming upon all of the ungodliness of men in the world. He drew a picture of a kingdom that seemed inconceivable and idealistic to those who were living in sin because there's no way. There's no way we can really have that. I don't even trust myself. I don't trust my neighbor, and I know there's hypocrisy there and dishonesty over there and self-righteous people over there. He drew a picture that was to become real and actually experienced by these people. And no matter what your neighbor did, John wanted you to know that God is calling you, you, to repentance. And so Jesus said in His ministry, there will be peace upon those who receive Me, but I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. Because this message, the nature of it, will divide a father from his son and a mother from her daughter, a father-in-law from his son-in-law and a mother-in-law from her daughter-in-law, and, and it will divide households because some will choose the Christ and some won't. And sometimes it's very incompatible to bring two lifestyles like that together. In fact, it is an unequal yoking. And you'll try to plow forward, but you won't be able to. And so there's going to be a division. And, and it would be a bad thing if it weren't the case that Jesus truly is the Son of God who came to reconcile you to the Father in heaven. But because that's true, repent and turn to God, all of you. Remember Peter's first sermon after the resurrection? What shall we do? And he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. John preached the gospel. The truth is the gospel is, is a hard truth to take to a sinful soul. But Herod the Tetrarch, Luke 3, 19 and 20. But Herod the Tetrarch, that means one of the four rulers of that region, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which he had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. He shut John up in prison. That's like putting a killer whale in a fish tank. That's just what it's like. And after days and weeks, months, you ever seen those dorsal fins on those killer whales, orcas, out in the wild? Straight and strong. And after some time in captivity, what do they do? They wilt over. Have you ever noticed that? If your kids don't know what I'm talking about, show them some pictures. That's what happened to John. His dorsal fin wilted. He's bottled up. This great preacher of the gospel is in prison now. And he's experiencing a crisis of faith. He was as out of place in that stone cell as some of us would, would be if you put us out in the wilderness of Judea. 
and said, eat locusts and wild honey for a while. And here, clothe yourself with this camel skin. John was right at home with that. Now he's in a concrete world. He's in a prison cell. But he could receive visitors. In fact, Herod called for him and feared him. He put him in prison to shut him up, but he couldn't shut him up. In fact, he called for him because that ring of truth, that ring of truth was in his ears. Maybe this Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. This miracle worker about whom I'm hearing, uh, maybe he is the Son of God. But these visitors were some of John's disciples. Some of those early disciples who were with him early in his ministry when he began to preach and they believed his message and they clung to him because of the of the importance of his words and they came to see him in prison because John had heard of the works of Jesus in Galilee he called two of these disciples together Luke 7 records that then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things all these works of Jesus in Galilee and John calling two of them to him can you picture this a number of disciples and John saying, guys, come here. I want you to go to Jesus and I want you to ask Him a question for me. Ask Him if He's the coming one or if we should expect another. How ironic that the great preacher of the Gospel needed the Gospel preached to him now in prison. And he who bore witness of the light was in a dark dungeon and needed some light shone upon him. How could he have sacrificed so much for the Lord only to be imprisoned for his reward? It doesn't seem fair, does it? It doesn't seem fair. You ever ask that question, is this what I get for being a follower of Jesus? Jesus was in Galilee some 70 or 80 foot miles away. And what could Jesus do for him now? Surely he'll open the prison doors. He did that later for Peter. Surely he could call down fire on Herod. Peter and John wanted him to call down fire. Surely he'd send 10,000 angels after him, for he told the devil that he could call 10,000 angels down and at lest he dash his foot against a stone as he lunged off of the roof of the temple. Surely Jesus would save him like he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when the men, Luke chapter 7, verse 20 through 23, when the men, the messengers, came to Jesus, and they made this trip all the way back to Galilee, and when they came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? In that very hour, Jesus cured many of their infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind, He gave sight. Before Jesus answered John, He realized that these two messengers needed their faith built up. Why didn't they encourage John? Why didn't they say, oh, John, you know that he's the one. John, we just told you of the works that he's doing. The answer Jesus gave, watch. 
observe and listen. And He healed the sick, and He preached the gospel, and He healed some more, and He cast out demons, and then He turns to these men, and He said now, as He ministers the gospel to John. So John preaches the gospel to the people. Jesus then in turn builds the faith of the messengers by the gospel. And now he's going to minister the gospel to John. He turns to them and he says, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the lame walk, the blind see, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Go and tell John that. Jesus didn't beat him up, did he? Didn't beat him up for a lack of faith and say, Are you kidding, John? Haven't the reports come to your ears? Don't you know me? Haven't you recognized from our very birth events that I am he? John. John. Where is your faith? Oh, ye of little faith. You said, go and tell John what you see and what you hear. On the other hand, he didn't swing John's pendulum from self-pity and then beat him down to self-righteousness by saying, oh, go and tell John. He's the greatest man, in my opinion, ever to be born of a woman. He's the greatest preacher, the greatest prophet that has ever walked this earth. Go tell John that. Tell him to buck up. Pull himself up by his bootstraps a little bit. And John might have heard this, and he might have said, Wow, so I'm the greatest there ever was. No, none of that. Lest he put him in graver danger than those who were hearing the gospel preached to them that needed to repent. But Jesus calls to his mind through the confirmation of eyewitnesses what he already knew and reestablished his faith on firm footing when they went back and said, we saw him raise the dead in Galilee, John. And he preached the gospel even to the poor among us. Everybody has hope because of him. That's the message he wanted John to have. He, he struck this perfect beauty, this perfect balance between a gentle rebuke, and that was this. Did you catch it? Blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Tell him, blessed is he who's not offended. John, are you offended? Are you offended that you're in prison after the work that you've done for me? Is it going to make you angry? Is it going to cause you to throw away everything because you're in prison? Because you're suffering, John. Are you going to cast it all away? John, do you think I've forgotten? Do you think your Heavenly Father doesn't see you? Do you think that we're really not there, present with you, in fact, in that prison cell, John? All of that was implied in this. Blessed is he who's not offended because of me. This gentle rebuke was balanced with this picture of a broken reed being 
straightened out, given its health again. And a smoldering wick of a flame just flickering out and then smoldering like a candle going out. He relit it in prison. How? Through his ministry. You've seen, you've heard, you know who I am. Let this give you an eternal perspective that everything's going to be all right in the end. Even the tax collectors justified God. John, I want you to, to realize God is just. And this, this injustice that's been done to you, and in fact, he'd lose his head not shortly hereafter, this injustice that's been done to you, you're going to live through it. You're actually not going to die. You're going to live through it by your faith that I am able to raise the dead and I will raise you from the dead. Wow. That's what you call the ministry of the gospel to those in need. And not to leave the masses out of this private conversation and messages going back and forth from Galilee to Jerusalem, not to leave them out, now he turns to the crowd and he says to them, when the messengers of John had departed, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts, not in the wilderness. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written in the prophets. Isaiah said, Behold, I have sent my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. God spoke of John. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Now listen. Everybody tune in. And those who are least in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, are greater than John the Baptist. That's you. That's you. That's me. There's never been a man born of a woman that's greater than John the Baptist, and you are greater than he. Because you are going to experience the kingdom when it comes. John's going to lose his head. You're going to get to taste the kingdom on earth. You stick around and you're going to see the Holy Spirit come by He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You're going to see the Holy Spirit come with power like you've never seen. You think it's something that Jesus is doing these miracles. Wait until His disciples start doing it. Wait until the common believers are gifted with gifts to perform miracles in our presence. You're living at a greater time than John. And I say to you, church in Pickerington, you are living at a greater time than this. Than this what we're reading about here. We're living at a time where we can see the effect of the gospel having gone into all the world and turned it upside down. 
affecting the nations of men. Do you know why there's evil in the world today? Because the gospel is being cast out of the presence of men. Not because God's not in control, but because men, by their free will, are choosing to eradicate the name of God from our presence. And that is where you see darkness. But the world's received the message of the gospel. Even in that first century period, it had permeated every nation. Paul said so. We have done this. Past tense. It's been done by his, in his lifetime. The gospel had reached the far corners of the world. Probably not every single human ear, but it had penetrated all the nations and was, was spreading. And it has changed the world of men for the last 2,000 years. I believe that it'll change our world as long as the world remains. But much of it depends on us. Much of it depends on whether we're willing to receive the message to repent of our sins and actually receive the love of God and shine the light of the gospel in the world. I don't know about you, I'm a little angry at some of the changes that have taken place in our culture to eradicate God and His name from anything and everything. I'm a little angry. How do I fight against that? Well, I might speak up. I, I can go vote. I can, I can be an activist. But I'm going to tell you something. I'll change more truly, more deeply, more effectively the hearts of men with whom I come into contact if I shine the light of the gospel in their lives. And that would be you. It would be my neighbors. That would be people in my community. That would be those people whom I know need things that I have in abundance. That's how we're going to let the light of the gospel shine in the world. And John's message was a gospel, a good news message that Jesus Christ has come to change the world. And He'll make all things right in the end. And so His message sometimes preached, sometimes given, sometimes ministered, is always right and it's always good. And it always includes the call to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you'll receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's the call I want to put forward to you today from the lips of John, Jesus, and His apostles, and every gospel preacher since that time to today. The call is as imperative today as it ever was to repent. Turn to God and start to do works that are fitting for Christians to do. Let's stand and sing.